I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. Dharma Realm Podcast for October 21st, 2011, and today we are talking about startling superficial soteriological similarities. So today's episode, uh, we are responding to a question that we got via Facebook, and it's pretty interesting. There's a few different parts to it, uh, but we'll start. uh, He's asking whether there's um, evidence that some of the monotheistic religions, such as Islam, Christianity, or uh, even Zoroastrianism, uh, were an influence on early Pure Land practice. Uh, and you know, this idea has, comes up again and again. Uh, it's kind of a broad topic, uh, but we thought we would kind of jump in. So, Scott, your answer? No. Okay. Okay. okay so next, next topic. topic. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I th- from from uh, not be joking about it. Um, this is this is an issue that's come up a lot in in uh, the scholarship of, of Buddhism, and you know there's a lot of evidence that there was a connection between South Asia, Central Asia, and the Middle East. Obviously, then um, there's you know the Silk Road and whatnot. Um, but it's it's very difficult to go from some uh, what you might call circumstantial evidence to actual hard proof, mm-hmm. like um, a causal relationship right, between right. this religion influenced Buddhism, therefore, and it caused Pure Land to happen. Right, right. There's a lot of, uh, you know, so there, there are a lot of superficial similarities between some Pure Land cosmological ideas, and, and I've seen a lot, uh, this particularly true with Zoroastrianism, actually, with mm-hmm. the way that the Zoroastrian religion sets up the sort of uh, cosmos and the, you know, sort of good versus evil and, and, and whatnot. But, um, but again, it's really hard to know whether or not one thing led to the other, um, and the other thing to always keep in mind is that you know some of the very earliest ideas about Pure Land in Buddhism come about within a century or two after the Buddha's death. Um, but then there's you know five or six hundred years later that some of the foundational texts are being written. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a long period of time <laughs> um, for there to be uh, influence back and forth, really, but not only, you know, not only influence from, uh, say, Christianity to Buddhism, but, you know, the reverse could also be true. Um, you know, this is also, however, a part of the world where it's really hard to get archaeological evidence for anything, mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, it, you know, there's places like Afghanistan where a lot of the stuff happened, um, which is the which historically was the Gandharan region. And a lot of stuff happened in the Gandharan, Gandharan region, which is really totally fascinating. But, you know, given the contemporary uh, history of that part of the world, you know, we're just losing so much. So mm-hmm. it's it's ah, it's hard. Right. right. Nevertheless. <laughs> We touched on something in our in our um, most recent episode before this too about uh, knowledge about Buddhism, mm. right? And uh, that you know the, the European Western study of Buddhism uh, is over two hundred years old now, mm-hmm. right? And uh, even more than that, we have records of you know Jesuits going to Japan and you know encountering in China and that kind of thing, right? So uh, so there's there's a lot of stuff has been written over these centuries 
right? And uh, in some ways, maybe we feel like, yeah, it's, it's kind of easy to think we have with the internet or with, you know, mass communications now, we have so much, uh, Buddhism is worldwide, mm-hmm. right? We have so much knowledge about Buddhism now. There's nothing beyond the scope of our knowledge, but that's not true at all. Uh, actually, the early origins of Mahayana are still shrouded in mystery. Right, right. Uh, and that's a very that's a fascinating to- topic of, of academic academic study, uh, and I don't think only academic study because I, th- I think kind of you kind of uh, hinted at this as well is that Pure Land Buddhism the origins of Pure Land Buddhism happen with the origins of Mahayana right right that Pure Land Buddhism although many people say uh, it can it has been and can be viewed as this kind of Christian version of of Buddhism. Right. Or, or you could say that Pure Land Buddhism doesn't really start until you get to China. Right, right. But I think that the origins of yeah. Pure Land really go back to the origins of Mahayana. Yeah. Which we can, I, my understanding is we can place anywhere from 100 BCE mm-hmm. or BC to 100 AD right. CE. Right. And, the, and, and that period of time, there was no Christianity. Right, right. Right. So then you have to look in other, you know, the, the, the questioner says other monolithic traditions. Um, and I think Zoroastrianism would be a good uh, candidate for that because Zoroastrianism begins in that part of the world. It's a religion that's in, you know, sort of native to Persian, uh, you know, northwestern Indian subcontinent kind of part of the world from an earlier period of history. Mm-hmm. So if there was any sort of influence, that would be a sort of prime candidate. But there's significant differences. Mm-hmm. There's significant differences between Zoroastrianism um, and, and their soteri- soteriology and, and what the Buddha is talking about. So it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, but, and, and I think that it's also, you know, there's lots of ideas out there. You know, there's, uh, before we were recording, I was talking about this girl I knew in college who, was, who first turned me on to this idea that, um, you know, when Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness to, to pray for, you know, these are sort of like the lost years of Jesus. And many people think that he went to India and studied with the Buddhists. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, but, you know, that's, it's hard. You know, there's no way to prove that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wonder, do you have to? Like, do we have to assume that there's this, like, connection, right? That, I don't know. You know, what, what purpose does this, like, longing for these connections mm-hmm, mm-hmm. serve? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are great questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It opens up this whole uh, realm, huh? Um, the, I mean, the, there's a, and part of it uh, is, seems to be a kind of... Uh, Longing for some kind of universal truth, mm. some this kind of universalist kind of project, right? Which, in a good on the good side, looks like trying to go beyond the boundaries that human beings set up, right? Right, and instead of saying our religion is right, yours is wrong, right, and that you have to convert to ours, seeing oh no, there's truth in all of them. Maybe they even come from the same source. Right. Maybe they're even the same thing. Right, and that was a strong project in what late nineteenth, late um, yeah nineteenth century, early twentieth century, yeah, yeah. right? Um, up through, uh, up through the early twentieth century. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and we can know, still feel it now. Today, I think, yeah. today, I think the metaphor yeah. is you know the the metaphor is the the many paths, one mountain. Yeah, yeah. have you heard that metaphor? Yep. Uh, for those who haven't, there's this metaphor of world religions where. Um, you know, how do you account for the multiplicity of different religious faiths around the world? And you say, well. You can say that there's a sort of universal truth at the top of the mountain, but that all of the religions are at different points at the bottom of the mountain. You know, some are on the south side, the north side, east or west. And so they all have to take different paths up the mountain. But once they all get there, 
mm-hmm. it's the same truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so whether you're talking about Allah or God or Yahweh or the Tao or Buddha nature or whatever, you know, these different names, the great spirit, you know, all these different names for these different, um, you know, truth of the capital T. It's all the same thing when you get there. Mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. looks different from the bottom of the mountain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's bunk. I don't like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting. It sounds good. <laughs> it sounds really good. It sounds good. Yeah. But there's problems with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that there's, this stuff gets me fired up. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that, that, um, the, the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely idea, but I think the the two concerns I have are, you know, if you say that the truth with the capital T on the top of the mountain is, you know, the same in all religions. Well, you know, the goal of Buddhism, if you couch that in language of Buddha nature, that's fundamentally different from the goal of Christianity, which is God, right? In, you know, in, in Christianity, the goal is not to become God or to become subsumed within God. It's to have a sort of relationship, a personal relationship with a personal God, which is very, very different in a lot of ways and really significant ways from Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if we just assume that they're the same when we get to the top of the mountain, it just kind of gets us off the hook. Like then we don't have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Then we don't get this chance to actually engage in dialogue. You know, it's like, it's like just immediately agreeing to disagree, you know, but like, Oh, this is what you think. This is what I think. Oh, it's fine. It's the same. Mm-hmm. Let's go talk about something else, mm-hmm. you know? And, that can serve a purpose sometimes if you're in the middle of a really heated debate with somebody. Um, But, you know, if you're trying to learn more and deepen your understanding about the world, uh, you know, not having a hard conversation about, wow, you know, our religions are really, really different. What do we do with that? You know, without engaging in that conversation, I think you're just sort of shortchanging yourself Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, really trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, have a deeper understanding about not only the other, but also yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if you're challenged to really question, oh, maybe my understanding of truth is wrong, you know, that's, it can be hard and frightening, but, you know, I think it's good, hard, good work, mm-hmm. personally. And it doesn't even have to be only Buddhism and other religions. It could also be about Buddhism, mm. within Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could also be within Jodo Shinshu. Does Higashi have something really important to say to challenge my understanding as a Nishi? No. Honganji oh, sorry. No. <laughs> kidding, I kidding, kidding. I think um, <laughs> And like recently a question came up, what can we find in Buddhism that unites all Buddhists? What is fundamental in Buddhism? Um, Maybe that's the wrong question, was my answer was, you know, I'm sure we could find one or two things, but we could probably find some Buddhists that that's not important to them. And to me, it's more interesting to be like, wow, what are the differences? What, you know, in this great diversity of Buddhism, what's going on? And isn't that cool? I'd much rather be able to be with other Buddhists and accept um, and enjoy and appreciate what they do as Buddhists with the, the reverse, that they're willing, you know, able right, to right. respect and enjoy, you know, what I do without feeling threatened, you know? I think that would be the ideal situation, not that we, oh, we all believe the same thing and we can agree on this one point so we don't have to fight. It's yeah. like, no, let's be able to be together as, you know, with our different kinds of Buddhists, yeah. yeah. And I think historically that has been the case very often in different times. And, you know, Mahayana and uh, non-Mahayana, um, Theravada or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Theravada is not a good thing to call it, but just for now we'll just leave it at that. Um, 
you know, are often viewed as antithetical, yeah. right? As, as completely different. And later on, maybe that happened, but for a long time, they were in the same temples or the same monastic complexes, right. um, you know, because their, their daily practice maybe was similar and yet philosophical differences were right. there, and, but they were, you know, in the same cohabiting, um, you know. Yeah. I think being able to learn how to live with difference is much more, much more challenging and much more rewarding, therefore, than just sort of, you know, looking for that universal truth yeah. that we can all agree on. I mean, think about it. Like if we all agreed on the same thing, how boring would the world be? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think you're, I think you're, what the point you bring up is good. And it's, it's sort of questioning why do we need to do that? What's, mm-hmm. what's motivating that feeling of wanting or desiring some sort of universal faith or universal truth or religion? Mm-hmm. You know, what's behind that? What need does that serve? And um, it, I think it probably has to do with the sort of, postmodern world that we live in, right? Where mm-hmm. we're faced with a lot of difference. Yeah. You know, we're faced with this difference of, of, you know, different people have different backgrounds, different culture, different history, different religions. Um, how do we contend with those differences? And, you know, this sort of longing for everyone to get along is I think very strong. And so I think that's sort of, that's part of it, but. Right, right, right. And I, I think part of the postmodern answer too, is to recognize uh, that maybe we don't need these overarching meta narratives that everyone has to conform to. Uh, that there can be a worldview that accepts multiple narratives on right. a smaller scale, uh, and the coexistence of those, even if they don't necessarily jibe with each other. Right. One another maybe idea that comes up in the question uh, is uh, the idea of faith. Hmm. Uh, that can mean a lot of different things, uh, but you know it is true that. Uh, the Silk Road was a place of, of great um, exchange of cultures, exchange of ideas. Uh, there's there's uh, Shandao, I can't give you exact dates, 5th century, 6th century maybe, um, China. Um, there were Christians there, mm-hmm. right? And there's this kind of um, example of uh, Nestorian Christians, uh, this group of Christians that made it as far as, I think, Chang'an, mm-hmm. the um, capital of China at this early period, right? right? And, and was there influence there? Uh, it, the idea has definitely been held up. There's a book called uh, Visions of Sukhavati uh, by a scholar named Julian Pass, uh, and I think it's kind of questionable. Um, and uh, Yeah, I mean, it seems like if there was a, a widespread influence, we would see a lot more clear evidence of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have to be, you know, if you're going to look at that, you want to be really careful. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can make, I think the book is still available. I've tried to get through it and haven't really gotten through because there's a lot of polemic in it. Um, it seems like he has a real agenda in his writing, but he writes as if it's so obvious yeah. kind of thing. So it's kind of a difficult book for me to, <laughs> to get through. Uh, it's a challenging idea. Um, but even the idea of faith mm-hmm. is a difficult one. Many different levels. What do you mean by faith? What do you mean by faith? Even in Christianity, I think there are many different yeah, answers. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. not an easy question to answer. Uh, is there faith in Buddhism? I think the... One yes. common answer is, well, one common answer is no. <laughs> yes, I know. Right? Yeah. That Buddhism is about practice. It's not about belief. Sure. But I don't, that's I, too easy. That's it's, too easy. Yeah. And I think that there's way, there's, there's you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to call it faith because remember that if you are saying there's faith in Buddhism, what you're doing is you're translating something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not, there's no, you know, there is no faith in Buddhism. Of course not, because faith is an English word. Mm-hmm, Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to use the word faith, you're using the word faith to translate some other Buddhist concepts. So let's look at those concepts, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's look at some of the words that 
we usually want to translate into faith, like Shinjin. Um, Or, you know, I would say Bodhicitta is a kind of faith. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. that part of faith in some contexts is just the desire to, you know, continue on and have some sort of soteriological breakthrough, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a kind of faith. And bodhicitta is this, is this sort of longing for enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. Bodhicitta is this sort of first gem of I'm going to become enlightened. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're just starting out on the path, you don't know that you're going to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know that you're actually going to get to the end result. Mm-hmm. You don't even know if the end result is true because you're not there yet. So you right, right. have to have some faith mm-hmm. that you're actually going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean faith in God, faith in the supernatural. It just means I have faith that I'm going to actually do this. Maybe I won't. I don't know. And there's actually (laughs) a kind of faith required in that this path even exists. Right. There's a faith that this seems like a good thing to do. Right. There's a kind of a, um, and I think I've experienced this of, of like, you know, studying Buddhism and, you know, you're intellectually grasping, grappling with the, the concepts and, and I remember at one point realizing, just kind of like, bam, wow, you know, I, this seems true. Yeah. There seems to be something real here. Buddha seems to be right to me, right? And I think that is kind of a certain kind of faith, right? right? That, and it's not that somebody, oh, you're, this is what I'm supposed to believe? Okay, I'll believe it. I have faith. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a believer, right? It's not that. It's that you've been wrestling with it, that you've, you've been looking into it, that you've heard something there that like clicks, right? right? And that, that makes sense. And seems to be something good or yeah. worth following, worth right. investigating more. Even, I mean, I think that you know, oftentimes we translate Shenzhen as, as true and tr- true and trusting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's based on the idea of trust. And I think trust and faith are very related terms. Mm-hmm. You know, to have faith in something means you trust that it exists, right? Mm-hmm. You trust that it's true. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's how's that different, really? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm like you're saying, I'm trusting. I'm, I have faith that there's some goodness here and that it's worthwhile to do Buddhist practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, and that's a um, classic example for, for a lot of things is this issue of faith mm-hmm. in Jodo Shinshu. Right. And that the term Shinjin that, that um, Shinran uses a lot um, was often early on translated, translated as faith. faith. Yeah. Uh, 20th century, early 20th century, yeah. I would say, through yeah. um, after World War II, right? Um, and that, uh, I don't know earlier on, but at a certain time later on, uh, I think many people felt this was too Christian too much influence of Christianity, mm. confusing maybe. Is it the same as Christian faith? Are they equal? No. Right? Or no, <laughs> there's something different that yeah. actually faith might get in the way. The word could get in the way right. of our understanding of what this means. Uh, and so one response was to leave it as Shinjin, leave it untranslated right. to force you to look into what it could be. Uh, another is using the word entrusting mm-hmm. or entrusting mind, which is maybe a more literal translation of uh, one possible literal translation of the character Shinjin. Right. Right. So I think I think we should leave a lot of these terms untranslated personally. Really? Yeah. I'm moving away from that <laughs> personally. Um, I think it's good to know the terms uh-huh. and have them out there. But uh, as, as a minister and having people come in um, that, and maybe we might get more into this issue of language again later right, in a yeah, later yeah. episode, but uh, I've been moving more towards trying to come up with some kind of word that points us in the right direction mm-hmm. in English hmm. uh, rather than have the, yeah, just a yeah, Sanskrit yeah. word. Because too many are Sanskrit or Japanese or Chinese or whatever. Right. I mean, that's part of the difficulty of Buddhism, studying Buddhism uh, in Multiple English. Multiple layers of, of all translation. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
it's okay though. I tell people just relax, and yeah. you know it'll begin to make sense. You have to keep looking into it. Keep uh, right, and that's yeah. kind of why I like to th- leave things untranslated sometimes because then it forces you to mm-hmm. keep looking into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I go, it's like it's like it's like dukkha and suffering. Mm-hmm. I really love translating dukkha as suffering, just mm-hmm. because. You know, or uh, the word evil in Jodo Shinshu comes up. And, right, I, and right. I sort of like these these hard concepts in English because it has, a, to me, the same effect. You know, if you say Buddhism says life's about suffering, people are like, oh, I don't like suffering. And then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, what do you mean by suffering? And then you can have that conversation and sort of force people to think about it. You know, I don't know. It can be a, a fun sort of skillful means kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, there's a, I don't know. It's challenging. Anyway, we can talk about yeah. translation. We'll, kind of, yeah, we'll get back into this. <laughs> we have yeah, a whole yeah. episode based yeah. on. <laughs> Getting back to the Nestorians. <laughs> we don't have to go back to the Nestorians. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... One I don't of the, know anything about that. One of the interesting things about this idea, though, of uh, influence, you know, back and forth. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, a lot of the, the, the influence that we're, we're, we're thinking of is influence from west to east. Right. right, 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 right. You know, we we rarely do we think of the influence going the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, we do. Usually, when we're talking about mysticism and, and mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. Christian tradition or right. Jewish, Jewish tradition, but but still, it's, it's sort of interesting to me that we often will think of this influence going in one way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can also look at influence or uh, meetings between different traditions in a much in a much different way. Um, there was a scholar here by the name of I think David Gray here at the IBS a couple years ago who was a Tibetan scholar, um, and he was looking at some texts that were uh, Vajrayana tantric texts that talk about the end of the world, right? These very apocalyptic texts. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea in Buddhism more generally of, you know, the declining age of the Dharma, and Buddhism will eventually vanish, and, you know, sort of this, you know, kind of end of the world stuff. But some of these tantric texts he was looking at were pretty like fire and brimstone, like mm-hmm. really what we would in the West call apocalyptic kind of Armageddon kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he mentioned that there was evidence that some of these were written at the time of uh, the Muslim empires coming into North oh, India. Right, right, right. Um, so these are really, you know, really late texts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, to me, what that says is that some of this influence isn't necessarily, oh, here's a good idea, but it's actually a sort of anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. here's this tantric text writing about at the end of the world in response to kind of the end of the world when, you know, this other religion and this other culture is moving into northern India and displacing the previous culture, mm-hmm. which creates a sort of anxiety. So I think another way, to, another thing to think about would be, you know, in what way are we sort of reacting, right? And mm-hmm. if you know this other culture is moving in, are you reacting to that culture and trying to, you know, work against it? You know, why is it necessarily that, you know? Sometime in the ancient past, everyone got along, and Jesus went and talked to the Buddha. Maybe Jesus did go to talk to the Buddha, but he didn't like what the Buddha had to say. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's let's explore those options. You know, maybe there are more differences than we uh, are comfortable thinking of. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this too has to do with the relationship between society, economics, military, empire, mm-hmm. and religion. And I think a lot of times we have an, uh, uh, a nice but naive idea that somehow religion is separate or should be separate even right. from the, 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 you know, economics or, yeah. or you know, people, war, that kind of thing. But the reality is it's all intertwined, yeah. right? And, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of neat to think, wow, why couldn't, um, like, 
you know, Buddhists and Catholics and um, Hasidic Jews and everyone, why can't we just get along, mm-hmm. right? And part of it is because we have institutions set up, yeah. right? And, you know, there's the Pope and the, um, uh, what's that place, the Vatican, right? And it's, it's, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, well, let's just share everything, <laughs> right? It's like, no, this, this has a lot of history behind it yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, that there's um, politics involved, you know, right. and there's politics involved in temples in Japan and, you know, this, this idea of um, how could... How could you know that the, the the head member of this religious sect have want to have anything to do with you know this this uh, the everyday stuff of society? It's right. like how could he not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, think about Nestorians and Christian uh, uh, Nestorian Christians in China. You know, maybe there were Nestorian Christians in China, but as soon as the empire, you know, the emperor makes Buddhism the state religion, well, then now the Nestorians don't have any money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they're no longer getting state sponsorship. So how influential can they be? Right. right. You know, <laughs> yeah. same. You know, same thing happens in Meiji, uh, Japan, right? Where the mm-hmm. you know, Buddhism is a pretty huge, pretty important part of the society, and then all of a sudden the government's like, "Oh no, we're going to get rid of Buddhism," and that right. has real effects. Right. Um, you know, brief, not very long lasting, but certainly you know that that changes things. Mm-hmm. And it's true now too, right? That um, that all the different Buddhist schools in America, mm-hmm. for example, uh, you know, and that um, you know, we each have our own institutions of various levels, you know, entrenched in bureaucracy or, um, you know, maybe we just have like a, a, we borrow the basement of a chapel, you know, Mm -hmm. a Christian church or something for, you know, monthly meeting or whatever, right? And that that, that it's it's tied into um, support for the institution. Having a building is is huge, you know, and then supporting that building, maintaining it, right? Who cleans it? Who, you know, all this different stuff, right? And that that is just part of... Uh, the reality of of religion, yeah, the nitty gritty stuff, yeah, that no one likes to talk about, but it's yeah, really yeah, important, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that's interesting is too is the, I mean, uh, we have to thank our our questioner for the title: startling, superficial, soteriological similarities, <laughs> and similarities don't necessarily mean they're the same. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, one example I remember um, is in the field of linguistics, and. Uh, you know, I studied Japanese as a kid, or I took Japanese class. I didn't really study. I hated it. I didn't understand why I needed to be, you know, doing it or whatever. And then I discovered Buddhism, and all of a sudden, Japanese became much more interesting. And then when I discovered how much uh, of an influence Buddhism had on Japanese culture, mm-hmm. Japanese language, and not just Buddhism, Chinese as well, but, but a lot of that was through the medium of Buddhism. And so I, I found this book. I think the author's name is Miller, and it's this kind of classic book of uh, linguistic book on the Japanese language and it has some hints to the um, Buddhist um, aspects uh, but one thing he said is that Japanese language uh, re- totally resembles this one Scandinavian language hmm. amazing they're like the same linguistic group kind hmm. of thing but there could not have been any exposure between the two right right right, right. so that's a startling Similarity, <laughs> right? That you're like, well, how is this possible? But right. it's just, it's just totally it's random. Just random, yeah. It's yeah. just what happened. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, it is possible to have these incredible similarities uh, without necessarily any causal connection. Right. It's like pyramids. Mm-hmm. You know, there's pyramids in Mesoamerica and pyramids in in, in uh, Egypt, and people think, how is that possible? There's no way these two cultures had any influence on one another whatsoever, but they both came up with the exact same sort of design mm-hmm, mm-hmm. architecturally. Must be aliens. 
Right. Well, that, that's the answer I forgot. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm joking because that's kind of, that's the jump that, right, you know, right, right. that you might make. And then you have to sort of stop and say, okay, well, you know, is there evidence for that? Right. You know, um, crystal skull. <laughs> let's not talk about Indiana Jones number four. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> and, you, you know, know the truth uh, behind the crystal skulls, oh, obviously. <laughs> But, but, you know, I mean, you know, you know, there are these sort of similarities, sure, but we need to look for the actual evidence and whether or not, you know, there, there was influence. And, you know, there's obviously no influence between the Scandinavian language and Japanese language. And, you know, uh, another way to look at it would be that, you know, people have these certain ideas about spirituality or religion, maybe not because there's one universal truth, but because we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. And there's something sort of hardwired in us to see the world in a certain way and have certain reactions to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Maybe but not, the interesting thing to yeah, do. Not like a biological basis for religion. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, but that, you right, know, right, right. Uh, uh, Thomas Tweed has a, a book on the theory of religion. And one of the things he says in there is that, you know, we are a bipedal mammal with front facing eyes. And so mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. see the world in that way. We conceptualize the world in that way, which limits how we can talk about the world. Mm-hmm because of our biology. So, I mean, you know, these are things, you know, to think about, I think. But another interesting, uh, in a different way, it's interesting too to realize though that other people, other cultures, other religions may look at things in a completely different way, Mm -hmm. right? And that uh, it doesn't all have to be the same. Right. right? And that not all religions have to be based on faith in an unseen higher power necessarily. There are other. There are some religions that don't, um, and that uh, the willingness to try. I think, in a way, it's kind of a Buddhist way of looking at the world. And, you know, uh, that this kind of critical, self-critical. You know, asking questions about. Well, you know, it seems obvious. I mean, this is academia too. The the good side of academia, right? If something seems obvious, maybe that's at some pla- a good place to look mm-hmm. for something different happening actually. And not to make assumptions that, well, it must have been this. The Nestorian Christians were there. There must have been influence. Look, Shandao talks about faith. Oh, my gosh. He must have met the Nestorian Christians and, uh, you know, received this idea from them. And so, therefore, Christianity had this monumental impact on Pure Land Buddhism. Eh. Maybe. uh, Maybe not. Are those ideas found in earlier texts? Yes. Right. Is he right. is he receiving um, yes. actually a lot of this stuff from? And is there other ways to look at this issue of faith from mm-hmm. like Sanskrit ideas, you know, earlier ideas in Buddhism, uh, and you know, a lot of scholars have done a lot of this work. Uh, Shigaraki Sensei is one who um, uh, talks about the different ideas for faith in Buddhism uh, early on, right, and how those might be permeating the kind of Pure Land ideas. Uh, from India, you know, within India, within the early kind of stuff, and that it didn't have to. The Christian Christianity, the monotheistic religions, don't own the concept of faith, basically, right? It's like sometimes by rejecting the idea, we give ownership of the idea to this other group, right? right. And say, oh, if faith is in there, it must be Christian. Maybe not. Maybe we have a different kind of faith, right? A faith of entrusting, mm-hmm. right? Of, of, of some different thing. Let's look at the text. Let's find out what the texts say. Uh, let's in- investigate uh, and see uh, maybe, you know, what Pure Land Buddhism is saying is totally different and the superficial similarities exist. And obviously there are similarities because lots of people have picked up on it and you can pick up this like East meets West, um, uh, you know, multi-interfaith kind of journals and kind of thing and all these articles about Shinran and Martin Luther and blah, 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 right? Um, there's ideas that have been picked up on, but... 
we should be careful and investigate them critically. I agree. <laughs>